Hi, my name is Ken, and this is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Mike, one of our pastors here. Great to be with you on our Adoption and Foster Care Weekend. Welcome if you are tuning in online, if you're in East Hall or here in the sanctuary. Really glad to be with you. Two ideas. Let me frame our morning now. Two ideas that frame today. The first, what we believe about our God, that we believe our God is a God who cares for the least of these, that God is a God who is for the unborn, he is for the orphan, he is for the fatherless. That's the repeated testimony of scripture, of the Bible, time and time again. God cares for the least of these. Let me show you two passages just to get uh, our morning started. First is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and the second is in Psalm 68, if we can bring these passages up. I will go to my Bible, and we will read them from there. (laughs) Deuteronomy 10, verse 18 says, He executes justice, notice this, for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Let me show you Psalm 68. Similar language we're going to find as we get our morning started. It says this in Psalm 68, verse 5. He says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. The first idea is that God is a God who cares more than anyone for the unborn. God is a God who cares more than anyone for the orphan and for the fatherless. The second idea to frame our time together is that God is making us to be more like him. That's the whole work of God. That's the whole grace of God. He saves us into his family. Then it's that same grace that changes us to become more like him. That's what Galatians has been teaching us. God is a God of grace upon grace upon grace. A grace that saves and a grace that changes. So we now are children. He is our father and he teaches us his family ways. That's God's Grace. And in every family, certain things matter. In everything, certain people have more importance. And in God's family, what he says is the least of these have the most value. And so we're going to look at this God who cares for the least of these and this God who is forming us, shaping us, moving us to become more like him. Now, as we get started, I want to have one announcement. Uh, This is an issue for our church, but also an issue for our world, especially in the state of Ohio. And issue one is coming up in November on the ballots. I just want to let you know that we have a podcast on issue one coming out the end of this month. 
If you don't listen to our podcast, this is a great time to get started with it. It's a great resource. It's called Church Unplugged. You can find it anywhere you listen to a podcast. But we have a re- podcast that's being released October 30th, just on issue one. My encouragement is please uh, listen to that podcast. Let's get started with our text for this morning. We are in Psalm 146. If you don't have a Bible, my encouragement is to use the Bible in front of you in the pews. You can find that on page 492. It's in the back of East Hall if you need one as well. You can pull it up on your phone, but Psalm 146, page 492. If you're new here, just want to let you know that we are a church that believes the Bible isn't just any other book. We believe it is the book of all books. We believe the Bible is written by God and for us. And the Bible is full of truthfulness and hopefulness and actually power to change us as a people and change us as a church. And so we're going to sit under and listen to and respond to God's word together today. So three points for our time, three points to guide our morning. The world that we live in, the God that we believe in, and the way we join in. Let's start first, the world that we live in. Look with me in the middle of our psalm, 7, 8, and 9, we're going to see and meet several groups of people in our world. Verse 7, the oppressed, the hungry, and the prisoners. Verse 8, the blind, the bowed down. And verse 9, the sojourners, the widow, and the fatherless. As the psalm describes our world, it describes the world through these groups of people. And it's really quite the list. Right, we go with the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, the bowed down, the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless. As we look at these groups of people, what I want you to see is two things. That each group of these people face great problems with little power. Incredible need and yet no resources. If you go through the list one by one, you will see oppressed people suffering injustice and nothing to change it. Right, you'll see the blind suffering uh, sickness and nothing to heal them. The widow losing a loved one and loneliness and no way to provide herself. The bow down going through emotional and spiritual and mental issues that they cannot shake. The prisoner isolated and behind bars and cannot get free. Time and time again, you see groups of people, great problems and no power. Incredible need and no resources. And this is just good every now and then for us as a church to be reminded that this is the world we live in. This is our world. These are the people of our world. And if you're like me, it's just too easy to forget sometimes. It's just too easy to not see them. Earlier this year, I was invited to play a round of golf down in Akron. And it was at a nice country club called Portage Country Club. And I was pretty excited But the most memorable part of that day was not actually the golf. It usually isn't, at least for me. (laughs) The most memorable part of the day was the drive to the golf course. Now, Portage is in uh, Akron, and you take take, uh, Route 8 to Talmadge Avenue. And you cross over, actually, two communities from the exit of Route 8 to Portage Country Club. And the first community is a community that is marked by poverty. And the second community is marked by one of wealth. And the disparity is pretty incredible. So I was driving off the exit right in this poor community and some kids were walking to school. So I was driving, a bunch of kids were on the sidewalk, they were headed to school and one kid caught my eye. Maybe he was 13 or 14 or 15 years old, I think he was from 
Nepal. He was a sojourner. He was a refugee here, and he was walking kind of funny. I couldn't quite figure it out as I kept driving. We got a little bit closer, and he had something in his hand. I thought it was maybe pop or water or something, but as I got closer, it wasn't pop. It wasn't water. He was a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old with a bottle of beer in his hand at 8 o'clock in the morning. And the reason he was stumbling wasn't because he was just playing a game with his friends. He was stumbling because he was actually drunk before school. And it struck me that this is the world that we live in. I was headed to a country club, and here we have this teenager struck down, bowed down by alcohol already at 8 o'clock in the morning. And the only reason I crossed paths with him, the only reason I was reminded of a different world, because I was driving to play golf at a country club. It is so easy to forget the people of this world. And so it's good for a Sunday like this just to be reminded that we live in a broken world and it is breaking people. We live in a hurting world that is hurting people, a wounded world that is wounding people, and a suffering world that is inflicting suffering upon each other. This is the world that we live in. And I know that because this is what Psalm 146 tells us. But some of you, you didn't need Psalm 146. You didn't need me to tell you that your life is full of great problems and little resources. You walked in living this You walked in not as somebody else's story, but Psalm 146 is telling your story. That you know what it's like to be oppressed and endure injustice. That you know what it's like to be bowed down and to be struggling with mental health issues, to be struggling with trauma from your childhood, to be struggling with sexual past mistakes. And you walk in bowed down, and you know what that's like. You are a widow here this morning, and you're sitting alone, and you don't want to be alone. You are here with great problems and no resources. And you're wondering if anybody is noticing you. You wonder if anybody sees you, if anybody cares for you. And you wonder even if God sees you. Or perhaps everyone has forgotten, even God. This brings me to my second point, the God that we believe in. The God that we believe in. In our broken, hurting, suffering, wounded world, the question is, where is God? And the question is, what is God doing in this world? And some of the best news in all of Scripture, some of the best news that I can ever tell you, is God is so, so different than any of us. He is so, so different than this world. And let me show you what I mean. Psalm 146, look with me, verse 6, we get our first description of the God that we believe in. It says this, God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and all that is in them. That's language of power. The psalm is reminding us that God is the one who created everything. There was nothing, and then there was everything because of God. It was his power to create everything. Look with me at verse 10. The second thing we learn about the God we believe in. It says, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. The Lord will reign forever. That's language of authority. That's language of control. God is the creator of all things, and he is the ruler of all things. He has all the power in the world and all the authority. He can do anything that he wants, and he answers to no one. And the question is, how does God, with all this power and all this authority, what does he do with it? How does he use it? How does he engage this broken, hurting, wounded, and suffering 
world. Follow with me, verses 7, 8, and 9. We'll go back to the same verses from the beginning. It says this, The Lord executes justice for the oppressed. The Lord gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. God, the most powerful, uses his power to help the powerless. God, with all of his authority, leverages his authority to help the helpless. He looks at people with great problems and no resources and says, I am for you. He looks at people with incredible needs that they can do nothing about and says, I am for you, even if it's your fault. That's why the word prisoner, I think, is included here, to let us know even if it's our mess, even if it's our issue, even if it's our responsibility, God says, I haven't forgotten you, I remember you, I'm here for you, and I'm using my power for you. See, God is so different than us, and he's so different than the world that we live in. It seems like it's either happening more or we just learn about it more, but how many times have you encountered a story in the past year where someone has misused their power and misused their authority? It seems like these stories are coming up more and more. I remember earlier this year, my wife and I watched a documentary called Dope Sick, and it tells the story, really awful story, of one pharmaceutical company during the opioid crisis and that they leveraged their power and they leveraged their authority for their own gain. And that they convinced the medical community that their drug, a painkiller, was actually safe and was actually non-addictive. And that doctors could keep prescribing, 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 and it would be fine. And that was a lie, and that lie made them a lot of money. And that lie cost a lot of people their lives. I was listening to a podcast last year that kind of took over kind of Christian circles, and it chronicled one church and one pastor out west in the Washington State area. And uh, it really tells the story of how the culture of the church really fell apart. And it wasn't for what you might think. You know, typically things in the church are more related to uh, financial things or perhaps unfaithfulness or things like that. But that was simply not the case here. The problem in this church was about the misuse of power, the abuse of authority, And the pastor was actually fired for the way he misused and abused his authority. It just seems like these stories are everywhere. My guess is you can probably tell similar stories that you've heard and you've experienced this year. And researchers have begun to take notice. And they begin to ask questions about how do all these stories impact the way we view authority? How does all these stories impact the way we view those who are over us? And it's really eroding our trust. There was a study done in 1958. The Pew Research did a study where 75% of the people who responded to the survey said they believed the government to do the right thing. They trusted in the authority and the power of the Bible to do the right thing. They did a recent study last year asking the same question, and do you want to guess what the percentage was last year? I'll give you one hint. It didn't go up, all right? It did not go up. It was 16%. It's not just the government. I mean, research after research shows that we are losing our trust in those with authority and power. The Gallup did a poll last summer. They looked at 14 different institutions. They looked at institutions like small businesses, the military and police, public schools, banks, large tech companies, newspapers, medical system, 14 different institutions, and asked people, how much do you trust them? 
and 27% said that they did. And so right or wrong, right or wrong, we live in a day of age where it seems like the more trustworthy or the more authority you have, the least trustworthy you are. The more power you have, the less moral you must be. I can't help but wonder how all these stories then influence the way we read Psalm 146, how they influence the way we view God. That we hear God of being God of power and authority and we assume he is like everybody else. That he uses his power not to help but to harm. That he misuses his power. That he misuses his authority. The view of God is like a tornado. He comes in bringing harm and havoc and never to help. And let Psalm 146 teach us what is true about the God that we believe in. That God is so, so different than us. And he is so different than the world that we live in. He is so different than any institution. He is so different than any pharmaceutical company, any government, any church. God has the most power and he leverages it to help the powerless. God, with all the authority, uses it to help the helpless. So if you are here this morning, let me just tell you, if you walked in and you are feeling the weight of oppression on you, God is for you. If you are feeling the weight of being bowed down, God remembers you and he cares for you. If you are a widow and you are alone, God has not forgotten you. He is for you and he loves you and he remembers you. He doesn't just drive by you. If your problems are great and your power is small, whatever the problem is, God is for you. Psalm 146 tells us that and the cross confirms that. And what I mean, when we look towards the cross, to look towards the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, we see how God uses power. It confirms to us that God does not use his power to hurt us, but he uses his power to take harm from us. That's the whole narrative of the cross, that Jesus leveraged his power to take harm from you, that Jesus endured the harm of death, the harm of judgment in our place showing us once and for all that God does not use his power against us, but he uses it to take harm from us. And so this means, as we think about what it means to be in the family of God and to becoming more like God, that we begin to use power like God uses power. We use authority like God uses authority. We use our resources and our lives how God does. We move towards the powerless. We move towards the helpless, even if it harms us. That's the way in the family of God, leveraging all we have for those who have nothing. And the question is, how does that actually happen? How does it happen that we would become more like God? That brings me to my third and final point, the way that we join in. The way that we join in. And at the heart of this point is really this question, how do you and I imitate God? If that's what God is doing, if God is making us more and more like himself, how do we imitate God? How do we move towards people that are helpless and powerless and vulnerable and say, I am for you? If you think about it, it's, it's a big ask. It's a messy ask. It's a complicated ask to move towards the sojourner, the widow, the fatherless, right? It is not glamorous, but it is, it is gritty. And I think we see the answer in this psalm. But let me just share a few numbers with you just a moment. We know that in the state of Ohio currently, there are 16,000 
kids in the foster system. We know that there are over 200 new refugees that come to Summit County every year. And we know that in 2022, there were 45% of high school students reported being persistently sad and hopeless. 45% persistently sad and persistently hopeless. This is the world that we live in. And how do we imitate God? You're going to see two pictures of my son here. He's two, year old, two years old. His name is Kaysen. And he loves to be outside with me all the time. He loves to do what I am doing. His favorite phrase is, Dada, let me see what you're doing. Dada, let me see what you're doing. And so I'll be cutting the grass. He'll be out with, or with me. I'll be planting uh, stuff in the garden. He'll be there with me. I'll be watering. I'll be pulling weeds. He even loves pulling weeds, uh, which is weird and great all at the same time. <laughs> the question is, why does a two-year-old want to cut grass? Why does a two-year-old want to pull weeds? Right? Probably the same reason why if you have little kids, they love to imitate you. They want to dress like you and be like you. Or if you used to have little kids, you remember what that was like. At least right now, Kaysen thinks highly of dad. At least for now, dad's all right, right? Dad's all right right now. That'll probably change sooner rather than later, but for now, dad's all right. If you think about the people that you tend to imitate, this is true. You tend to think highly of those people, right? If you think about the people that you want to become more like, you think highly of them, right? You want to teach like them. You want to coach like them. You want to parent like them. You want to lead like them. You want to dress like them. You want to play like them, right? Why? Because you think highly of them, right? You are impressed with them. You admire them in some way. And this is exactly where this psalm is taking us. It's leading us to have this high view of God. It's leading us to admire God. It's leading us to adore God. It's using, it's <clears throat> leading us to actually join in the worship of God. Let me show you what I mean. Notice how the psalm begins and notice how the psalm ends. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In the very end, verse 10, praise the Lord. The psalmist is overflowing in worship. He's overflowing in praise and adoration to God. He says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Where does that kind of worship come from? Where does that kind of praise come from? What motivates this psalmist to think of God in that way and to worship God in that way? Well, I think because he finds God to be the most powerful and he realizes that this God then gave himself and used his power for him. And the way that we're going to move towards worship, the way we move towards adoration and admiration of God is believing the same thing. That the key to the worship of God is recognizing that God is the one who has all the power and all the authority in the world and he uses it to help us. In fact, he uses it to help us when we we're powerless. The key to becoming a church and a people that move towards the worship of God is found in Psalm 146, that we would realize too that God the most powerful helped us when we were powerless. Our story is bound up in this psalm. Six weeks ago, my family, we welcomed our third daughter, our third child home, a little baby girl named Briella, uh, finally a girl dad, which is great and terrifying all at the same time. 
But I'm reminded again that she is beautiful, she is wonderful, but she is powerless. I'm not sure the last time that you held a newborn baby, but physically, they have a lot of needs and they cannot meet any of them. The only thing she can really do is wake up in the middle of the night between three and four o'clock. No one had to teach her that. The way she is physically, the Bible says that's how we are spiritually. He says that each of us are actually facing great problems and we have no resources. The Bible says that we are facing incredible problems of our own sin. We are facing incredible problems of God's judgment. And there is literally nothing that we can do. We have no power, no resources to change it. We ourselves are powerless apart from God. But as this psalm must say, blessed be the one whose help and hope is in the Lord. For the great news of the gospel and the good news of Jesus is that when you were powerless and I was powerless, Jesus did not forget us. Jesus did not keep driving by us. He did not neglect us. He did not abandon us. Jesus used his power to help us and to help you. And the way he did it was actually becoming powerless. That's the great irony of the gospel, that Jesus, the one with the most powerful, helped us by becoming the least powerful. He emptied himself, taking on the form of flesh, and he became like us, and he joined us in our powerlessness. And actually, the groups of the people in this psalm do a great job of describing just how powerless Jesus became for us. Jesus himself became a sojourner. He left heaven and he came to earth. Jesus entered this world as a powerless newborn baby. Jesus himself lived a life of oppression as a Jewish man under the rule of the Roman Empire. Jesus' perfect life would end with him being arrested as a prisoner. He would be forsaken on the cross by his father as if he were fatherless. He would be crucified on the cross, becoming lifeless. And then he would be buried in a tomb, absolutely powerless. Until three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus willingly, lovingly, graciously joined us in our powerlessness to save us from our sinfulness. So he would lead us into this wonderful life of godliness. Jesus is so, so different. How many people do you know that just want to climb the ladder and get a little bit more power? How many of us would just love a little bit more power in our lives? Not Jesus. How many of us know people who misuse their power, misuse their authority for their own gain and to the harm of others? Not Jesus. How many of us cling to power hold on to power, and power is the last thing that we would ever give up. Not Jesus. Jesus is the one who could do absolutely anything, and he gave up everything for us who could do nothing. Where does worship come from? It comes from recognizing just how different Jesus is, that he had all the power in the world. He could do anything that he wanted. And he decided that you and I were worth it, that he would become powerless for us to save us from our sinfulness and to lead us to a life of godliness. I think we all know that there is far too much pain and powerlessness 
and fatherlessness in our world. What is needed is more godliness. What is needed is more people and more churches continuing to join God and to imitate God. And the way forward for us, the way we as a church continue to be the church that we are, we become more like God is when we realize and are in awe of the fact that God became like us. And he saved us when we were powerless. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are just so different. And sometimes it's hard to see you and believe in you rightly. We get caught up in too much in this world, too many stories, too many things in our lives to try to blur our view of you, but help us just believe and affirm today that you are the creator of the world with all the power. You are the ruler of the world with all authority, and you are the great savior of the world. That you looked upon us when we were powerless, and you did not forget us. You came for us. You joined us in our powerlessness. That's how much you love and care for us. God, fill us with worship for you. God, fill us with admiration and adoration for you. God, and I pray that as we worship you, you will lead us to join your work. That you will lead us to care for the powerless and the helpless, the vulnerable and the fatherless. God, continue to use this church as you are. Continue to use us, God, to be people that are like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.